This is Season 2, Episode 1 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or a player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Tonight's episode, Character Growth, or Learning the Power of Friendship. Hey everyone, welcome to Mastering the RPG. Uh, you can find all our information at masteringtherpg.com. That's one word. You can send us feedback or questions or ask us to adjudicate a question at Game Mastering. I'm sorry, I screwed that up. That's Game Master at masteringtherpg.com. I'm here with my hosts, Eric and James. Hey, gents. Good to see you after a long holiday break. How are you both doing? James, how are you doing? I'm going great. Happy New Year from Happy uh, New Year. searing hot Australia. Uh, it is sweltering <laughs> down here, but it's been a wonderful break. We we do this great end of year break where rather than snow and storms, we sit on a beach and get sunburnt. So uh, I've had a very relaxing break. It's been it's been extraordinary. Well, I've post not postponed, but suspended all my school games, and so I've it's been weird. I've had three weeks where I've only role played four times, so that's unusual for me, and it's been good fun. Very good fun. Fantastic. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's a bit different here. <laughs> We've been inundated with crazy rainstorms. So there's been some flooding, but, uh, you know, a couple power outages, but doing all right. I, too, have, the games have dried up a little bit. Um, I am starting up a new game and a new system, uh, Cyberpunk Red. Uh, so that'll be very interesting because I've never played that before. I always like trying new systems and comparing them, so... Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I chose to be the Netrunner, of course, the most complicated role. Um, so that should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, personally, I just enjoyed uh, two weeks of vacation. And I think I played one time and, uh, you know, worked on some uh, RPG rock music. At some point, I hope to get that done and get that out. So, um, yeah, I had a good, I had a fabulous break. It's great that uh, sounds you guys did as well. That's awesome. Um, so... We have uh, just the main topic today. We don't have any questions. We didn't find any cool stuff while we were sitting on the beach or relaxing or trying to light a candle in a power outage. We uh, didn't find a cool thing, but we do have a great topic, and it's all about character growth, which is you know how player characters change, adapt, grow in response over the campaign. Eric is going to take us through it this time. He is going to be the master of ceremony, so I'm going to turn it right over to him. Take her away, Eric. Yeah, uh, so this subject is a little, I would say it's obscure almost. Um, I, I forget what I had called it before, but it, it's, it's a little bit of a weird topic. It definitely touches on a lot of the things that we've talked about before. Um, but I think it's very important for like that uh, meaningful campaigns, for campaigns that you think about. And it's kind of almost the unsung hero of those games. Um and it might help it if you kind of have a little bit more deliberate thought with this when you're going into either as a player or as a GM, because this is kind of one of those things that will really stick with you. And, and you can look at like TV shows, you know, a lot of good TV shows, especially like, say, like HBO character dramas, right? They have like really cool characters with really cool arcs um, that you make that really make you stick to the show and make you remember. And then, you know, shows that don't have this just feel very shallow. So it, it's... I think it's an interesting thing that we'll talk about. Um, just at the front, I think, like Carl said before, to define it, 
it's definitely how the player characters or the NPCs kind of change and grow in response to the campaign. Um, and kind of go against their own personal journeys. Sometimes it's something that you thought ahead of time. Sometimes it surprises you. So yeah, we're just kind of going to kind of talk about how either as a GM or as a player, you can kind of nudge this along or encourage this type of development. So um, starting with GMs, <laughs> uh, what can we as GMs do to contribute to player character growth or change? And I think just, just at the top, like, all the things that we'll talk about, you know, it's mostly about challenging players and challenging the paradigm and, you know, uh, bringing, th bringing situations to them that, that is out of either out of their own context or out of the context of the game itself. Um, so yeah, let's start talking with kind of the first direction. I mean, I kind of group these in, in a couple different ways. I think the first time, first topic we'll talk about maybe is kind of starting at the very beginning of the campaign. Um, like James, what would you do at the beginning of a campaign? Do you have any setup for this? Do you ever think about this? Or what are some things that you might say that is a good tip for um, encouraging this? Yeah, the, I guess the trick is, and, and this is the aim, isn't it? That on a good campaign, you want your characters to grow. You don't want to end a campaign in the same position where the characters began. We want the, yeah. we want to craft out a hero's journey that that uh, allows character growth, that allows change in personality, that allows change in mindset, and so. When you're looking at starting up a campaign and when you're working with your players in that session zero and in developing character, um, character backstories in particular, start to think about what might be some of the major challenges that you'll be confronting the players with. And a lot of that's got to do with the main campaign storyline that you're putting together, you know. But in the back of my mind, I, I'm constantly trying to think of how does the main challenges within a within a campaign translate to challenges to individual characters not all characters will respond to the main thrust of the story the same and not all characters come from the same starting point so when you're plotting out your campaign structure from the beginning always good to keep in mind is how will the individual characters respond to a lot of this stuff and that allows you to be thinking in terms of a non-static, a dynamic way in which characters can respond to challenges and characters can individually respond to challenges because that's what we're looking for, isn't it? We're looking for individual character growth, not necessarily yeah. a group growth, but how are individual players changing the way that they play their character based on the challenges and the confrontations that, they're, that their characters see within the campaign? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And I think... Uh, especially when starting out, and we've talked about this in the backstory episode, like you mind the characters' backstories because, and also like the things like ideals or personality traits. I think a really good, um, like you were talking about, like challenging the individual players. A really good example here is just like the lawful good pal paladin, right? Yeah. They they could be pretty one note, but to really challenge them, you want to set them up with when there's kind of a dynamic choice of here's the lawful thing. And then there's the kind of good thing, right? And those aren't always the same. So kind of presenting a character like that with like, well, I'm usually like I came from this law making, you know, background of some sort, or I was very uh, adherent to my code and laws that I 
my background was or whatever, but then really having it like, well, these laws really lead to a lot of evil. They're not good laws. And to be good, you have to go this other way. So that really stretch a character and make them kind of challenge their own belief systems. Carl, what are some other ways you would like mine a backstory or something or personalities or what, what do you well, do? At the I, beginning one of the things thing? we talk about mining the backstories, but, but let's not um, forget that the players themselves, they're looking for a particular journey as well. And I think as a mm -hmm. game master, it, it does behoove us to talk to them about where you want that character to go. And I'm not great at this. I'll, I'll admit it because lots of times I get backstories and they're somewhat statically defined and they have the bullet points of, you know, here's something I want to explore. But it's not necessarily the growth that the, that the, they want to take this character. Like I want my character right now. My character is a thing based on my big story, but I want them to be something else. Like um, you're talking about the paladin character, for example. Yeah. Um, they may start off and say, hey, if you talk to them, they may say, well, yeah, I really do want to understand the boundaries of my order and how my order has kind of done things in one way forever. And, and how do I change that? And that's an arc I want to explore that a game master may not necessarily understand yeah. if, you don't, if you don't talk about it. Uh, you know, James, great point that understanding that you start building out a campaign based on that, uh, understanding, uh, but you need to understand it, right? So that you can start putting those story elements and you don't just kind of railroad your story elements in without thinking about that arc. Now, Eric, it was interesting you talk about putting those dilemmas in front of the player. That's, yeah. that's huge, right? If they're talking about, um, if they're talking about trying to grow, um, having a dilemma any kind, it doesn't have to be good versus evil. It could be, um, you know, choosing family over friends. It could be a, a number of things, but some dilemma that sort of, uh, there used to, I'll use the word, there used to be a game where you played a character and it was a video game and you made choices and every choice led to a different aspect of your life. And at the end of your mm. life, it was all the choices you made that defined who you were. And then they give you the printout of, you know, you know, you're 80% nice guy, 70% bad guy, whatever, right? Um, and it's same kind of thing as we're working through our campaign. Every choice we make is defining who we, are, who our character is because, again, it's just us playing them. So it has to be those choices that really define it. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense, but that's kind of how I yeah. how I look at it. Absolutely. And, and, and don't forget, within the context, every campaign kind of has a broad character arc, change, challenge to it in that... Ultimately, aren't we, when we're doing a long-term campaign, aren't we turning our our characters into heroes? We are We are ultimately, the, the big change that occurs as a group will be responding to the to the challenges, the big bad, the, the emerging evil, right, right. and choosing yeah. to be the heroes in the campaign is probably the biggest, the biggest change that emerges from your beginner blacksmith that leaves his villages for the first time to the, uh, to the ironclad hero that slays the dragon at the end. But within that, you also have the smaller challenges of individual characters and individual players and their their individual journey. And so, a lot of a lot of what you try to do is kind of get an understanding early from from when players are developing their characters. Or what are the things that can potentially challenge these guys? What are what are some of the what are some of the choices that you're going to put in front of them that will have consequence to their personality or their or their mindset or their life view? By, by the the different ways, which way they're going to take in terms of the choice that they make, um, and and providing a, a a bit of a 
a bit of a fork in the road for them to make those choices as you're developing up your campaign and your story arc. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and I think in a lot of these cases to, you know, because some players might be reticent to to want to, you know, challenge their own characters in a certain way. I think some more kind of tips I would say about backstories, and we've talked about this before, but of course, characters from their backgrounds are a really good way to kind of set them individually on a course they may not want to go to kind of, you know, for whatever you want to do, to challenge their beliefs in some way, or, you know, maybe they started being more close to their their party, but their past and their kind of baggage that they had with their past, maybe certain characters um, are come, kind of coming back at them. And that kind of makes them reflect on their quote unquote past. I mean, these are like real things in real life, but we can recreate them within the game. So, you know, a, a background character that they may have written off or one little thing, you can kind of bring that out that, that may have a kind of power over them and may compel them to do things against their own interests or against the party. So that could be a really good way to also kind of shift them and kind of force them to challenge their own preconceived notions. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's that's where it's a great point. Um, sometimes you just got to give them a chance to f- decide if they are what they thought they were, right? Yeah. That's um, true. Yeah. So, for example, <laughs> I, you know, we had a Chicago, we had a game in Chicago called Chicago Plex, which was cyberpunk. And you guys were basically the traditional, uh, this Eric was in this campaign, the traditional mercenaries. You know, we're going to go get hired out, make money, you know, get credits, blah, blah, blah. But I kind of thrust questions at them that there's something bigger going. And they decided that they were heroes and they wanted to solve this problem instead of just make money. And they turned Mm -hmm. out not to be who they thought they were. They were something else. They grew into something much more heroic um, that they didn't expect to be. And my character in that had a very pretty strong personal journey. I mean, he was... I, 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 he wasn't exactly an orphan, although I think he was, but he had a kind of a messed up background. He came from experiments. He was like a cat person that was genetically altered against his will. He was part of like a, uh, um, uh, Orwellian, um, uh, like, you know, pickpocket gang, uh, that kind of betrayed him. And so he had a lot of issues with like trusting people. He also thought his only value was from, uh, being like really good and doing big things. That's why he was like a, a, a daredevil. That's why, you know, I said that, that was the game we always talk about with two monowips on a motorcycle. But, you know, over the course of the game, and that's why I kind of headed this with Power of Friendship, you know, he kind of did learn the Power of Friendship. I mean, he learned to trust more. He learned to open himself up to these people more. And that kind of shifted his priorities a bit um, from kind of the only person. So that, yeah, that was a good um, uh, thing to reference, Carl. And the one last tip here I want to say for backstories is... When, pe- when, when people write about trauma in the past, in their backstories, um, as a GM, you can also create little side stories or little situations that sort of recreate that trauma. And that can be another good way to kind of, you know, force their characters to deal with, um, you know, maybe things they wanted to forget about or, or kind of the root of their personality flaws, right? Like in my case, if a character was not trusting because people left him for dead, um, and was betrayed by them, then kind of setting up that situation either on himself or like, you know, having encountering, you know, some innocent people that were that had the same kind of thing happen to them. So forcing him to kind of be like, well, do I go with my normal kind of greed and not be close to people or do I respond and help these people out when nobody helped me out kind of thing? So that can be another good way to force that. Um, I think moving on. So what about like as the game is going, what are some ways that you, you know, 
the campaign's taking a turn or what are some ways when you're, when you're playing the game, you kind of want to throw in a challenge? Um, Carl, we'll start with you here. So what are some tips that you have as, as far as um, kind of mid game or. Well, you, um, you throw surprises at, at the players. I think we talked about um, dilemmas uh, as the game's going through and you have what could be just a basic adventure, solve some twist it. Um, throw a surprise in there, something that completely changes how the storyline is going that makes them have to reevaluate their situation. Um, yeah. You know, the, the the classic example of, you know, you, it turns out that your friend is actually your enemy who's been leading you along the whole way. So what do you do? Do you now they're just bad and you attack them? Do you look and find out what's going on? And what choice are you going to make in that situation? So, so those surprises can force people to kind of think about their characters and what their characters really are all about and what they're really trying to accomplish. Um, so that's that's just one uh, little one. Um, you know, I think. Uh, so I don't know, Eric. What what do you think? I mean, you you like uh, you like surprising yourself as a player. So what about as a GM? <laughs> well, yeah, that that's a good. I mean, surprising, doing twists. I would say like it's called like disrupting the status quo is what mm. I wrote down as a note. And that's kind of you know, because when people get into a groove and you kind of thrust a totally new situation or new you know, type of enemy or new whatever threat, um, whatever it is, that can really make them, again, challenging their beliefs. It can make them stretch in a way they didn't think they would. I think like I think you kind of brought up, but a similar thing is the classic enemy of my enemy. You know, having maybe somebody that thought it was an enemy, like have a bigger enemy or something that threatens both of them to kind of partner up with these people that then this new enemy that they have to be kind of allied with will also challenge them. So that's a, that's a way that I would say, um, James, what about you? What are some ways that you mix it up during the campaign? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, having planned the kind of, not, not the response, but planning the challenges, it's about, it's about confronting each player with their moral, their internal moral dilemma in some ways. I mean, if we've worked with our players and in developing the backstory and we understand where they're coming from, it's providing those trigger points to allow for development. It's providing those those challenges that allow for characters to change. I had a, a game only last Monday where a player whose entire concept was a coward had been on the run from a from a gang that he betrayed and so had been hiding from this gang for for his entire game so far this this campaign's been going on for about 6 months um was a charlatan so with a with a different personality on the run keeping low key and essentially has been locked has been backed into the corner the gang's found him they understand where he is but bolstered by the fact that he's now got a party of friends to support him the big change of the i'm not going to put up with this anymore and the drawing of the weapon and the the challenging of the 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 gang leader to to effectively i i duel you to be the leader of this criminal network was a huge character arc for this particular character um and i guess as you work through the concept of well we're a coward we're on a run we you know and then you give them the opportunities for for change you give them the opportunities for redemption you give them opportunities for development um you really have to present them in a in in major major choices so that so that you allow your players to really to really grab the reins and 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 make that choice one way or the other he could have continued to be the status quo he could have continued to say no you know what we're out of here we're we're, yeah. we're not going to challenge and we're going to continue to play the same cowardly character but these presenting players with pivot points for their characters is really really important 
Um, and and it was it was an awesome session. You know, this kind of I'm not putting up with this anymore moment. You know, there were cheers from the other players. It was a huge <laughs> moment for that campaign. And so providing those opportunities very important. Yeah, and you very didn't cool. you didn't force it, right? I mean, you certainly they were allowed to be a static. I mean, there's always a possibility somebody is static from their backstory, who they are. That's just what they're going to be the entire campaign. But you gave them an opportunity to make a choice. You didn't force that, well, you're a coward, so therefore the expectations you're going to run away and so everything's going to be geared around you running away. No, you you put it right in their face and gave them the choice to either grow the character or they could have stayed the status quo. So that's great. That's That's awesome. As a game master, we shouldn't be forcing our agenda, right? Give them an opportunity and let them decide. Player but on that note of, of forcing, <laughs> where sometimes you, you can sort of nudge or another way to kind of disrupt this is what I call like the, like the trolley problem, like the classic um, philosophical, yep. right? Where like, and I think we kind of touched on it before, but you can really, really um, give them choices that rely on sacrifices of some sort. And there's no good answer kind of thing. And that, again, will, you know, have lasting effects on the characters because... They, they might have guilt. They might have, they might feel like they did the right thing, but other players don't. So that's another good way to kind of give them problems that don't have any good solutions. Mm. Um, and then one more thing in the kind of this note I want to talk about is I think side, quote unquote, side quests, where it's not something we really, you know, do in tabletop games, but I mean, we do, but so like from, you know, computer role-playing games, often I always think the side quests are the most interesting thing in those games more than the main quest. And I think side quests are just a really good way to, do a lot of things that we're talking about and add a lot of like a completely different style of narrative or you bring them to a completely different place with its own set of rules. So I think side quests are a really good flexible way to bring in these things that will really challenge them in a new way. I mean, do you ever leverage side quests, either of you, James? Absolutely. Uh, subplots, I guess, is the kind of way that I, I look at it as yeah, okay. side quests that link in towards character backgrounds and character journeys are really 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 rewarding you know the the amount of times that the group that, that many times in my groups a, a player will go well actually i have to stop at this village because i've got this to accomplish or or there's other reasoning as to why and often it's very singular character focused and that allows for that individual growth really really well if you focus if you hang a side quest on a particular character and a particular character's motivation and a particular character's hero journey you can really get some awesome character development through the resolution of that without disrupting your main plot i guess is the thing you can kind of you can shoehorn in extra extra development without having to to uh completely change your main plot to accommodate yeah and, and i yeah, like that yeah go on oh i was just going to say and, and generally i i kind of let the players define those side quests based on what what they're hoping to accomplish you know you set the choices in front of them and if they say well i'm not going to go do this i want to go do that they've defined the side quest and you know you can decide you're going to get them back on the path or you just go along with it and see what their character learns and, and does. So go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I jumped on you. No, yeah, yeah. I, I just agree with you guys. And like to James' point, you can do it individually. I th also think they are a good way to challenge the group as a whole and kind of what their, you know, their main like, oh, we're becoming heroes. You can give them that. While the main narrative might not have that more nuanced gray area kind of plot with a side quest, you could really do it. Like maybe they have to rely on some mafia, uh, you know, head honcho or something to accomplish something else. So it, it is, yeah, really flexible way to do it. And we talked a little bit about NPCs. 
Um, was there anything else you guys want to talk about how you leverage your NPCs as far as uh, to can kind of challenge the players? Well, I, well, you know that uh, lots of times I bring NPCs in that um, provide the question or provide the dilemma that the players have to decide whether yeah. they're going to run with it. It's just our last, um, the last campaign we did, um, Deadlands Lost Colony, right? There was the war... Uh, I don't know the, the war the, criminal. He was a war criminal. The, the war, war criminal. criminal. Okay, I didn't yeah. know if I wanted to say that, but <laughs> but the war criminal. And you guys had to decide whether he was telling the truth or not. You're going to go with him or not. But uh, that NPC really made you think about who you guys were and yeah. made de hard decisions. And you know, uh, the whole thing could have gone south if you would have made one decision, um, but you made another decision. So it was just a dilemma how you handle this person who, in your eyes, is, is basically evil, but they're useful for what you're trying to accomplish or, or they have some information. So NPCs can be a not just a quest giver. They can literally be the dilemma that's in front of you for the character growth. Yeah. And, and I find that that's more... That's probably the most common way of presenting a character growth dilemma. It's you're doing it through an NPC, not necessarily through a scenario or or a um, or a uh, 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 what, sorry, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, situation. Uh, not or... Situation. Yeah. Okay. So often the dilemmas are posed by an NPC or the NPC's reaction or betrayal or uh, or a, a revelation. That they're not exactly who they thought they were. I mean, the, in the example of this mob, mob uh, coward, without the mob boss being the bullying uh, kind of uh, um, uh, bullying influence on this character, there's no way that he would have found the the heroism. You know what I mean? If it was yeah. a group of faceless um, uh, kind of mobs, you know, mooks. It, it wouldn't have had the same impact. You needed to have a an NPC and often role played by the by the dungeon master to to rebel against. You need an NPC to to um, you know to bounce off to 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 have the change against. I found more often than not, it's the NPC that they actually tell to get fucked and you know and, and stick <laughs> the finger up and and yeah. ultimately change and become a hero rather than a scenario. Yeah, very very good point. Um... Yeah, so the last thing here I would that I would say, I mean, we could talk more about it afterwards if you have more thoughts on this, but mechanics, and I th we'll talk about this more on the player side because when we're talking about character progression, it's obviously narrative, but mechanics can have a very real and mm. uh, interchangeable almost uh, connection with these changes. But as far as the GM side, how do, how do we kind of leverage mechanics here to challenge players and to, to force them to do things? The one thing that I thought of here is like powerful items or character options even, but with some sort of drawback. So the classic example here is a powerful cursed item, right? Um, also something like a warlock patron um, mm. that will force them to do things, but it's giving them this power, that, that kind of idea. So there is a way as a GM, you can kind of utilize that carrot uh, where players want those new mechanics or want those items um, and then have kind of a narrative behind that that will influence them or make them do things or affect them in a certain way to kind of shake out, you know, shake them from their normal, you know, I'm just this happy-go-lucky paladin, but now I have this sword that's cursed or something that's 
you know, forcing me to give, maybe not kill somebody, but give innocent blood once in a while or to kill a certain amount of people, you know, to keep it up. And do I use this sword then because it allows me to fight the greater evil, but I have to have these kind of sacrifices along the way. So um, that's just one idea I had. Any thoughts here, James, about leveraging mechanics? Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's some scenarios and, and some quite famous uh, um, modules in in different role-playing games that do this specifically. I'm not a big fan of the gotcha surprise cursed item, but I'm a massive fan of the I am making a a decision to wield the power of this cursed item, understanding full well of what that might do to my soul or what that might do to my, you know, to people around me. Deal with the devil. Um, is a fantastic element in in a very famous uh, Dungeons and Dragons module, Curse of Strahd, where there are dark powers that you can make a pact with in order to get these kind of um, additional powers, but but with an absolute, but you will take a, a step down the path towards evil. Um, and I love running that module for that very reason. It creates a moral dilemma that allows a mechanical power, but to do so, you invite in. Um, an evil spirit within you to cohabitate your body that then that then will provoke you to do more and more and more and more nasty things as the as the game continues and i love it as a as a um as a moral dilemma for my players that yep i want that i want that power to be able to spider climb and speak with animals but (laughs) knowing full well that i'm now completely devoid of any human compassion and I will role play that is is always a, a fantastic challenge so that double edged sword of power versus temptation is always a uh, is always a great thing to throw in front of your players Carl, I, have, I have nothing I can follow up on that. That is, uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I, the, the only thing that I would finally add on top of this is that it doesn't always have to be like the corrupting influence. Sometimes it can be a, like if it was like a fey item, right? You may yep. have these influences from a fey that's not necessarily evil, but is definitely alien to what your character is doing or to what the, the campaign is doing. So there's definitely a lot of flexibility here. And that was a very good example, James. Uh, very, but I mean, cool. and, and I agree, a righteous sword that can only be wielded by someone with, with the power of good and therefore pushes a character to be a more wholesome, heroic, you know, valiant, yeah. heroic figure is also a great little thing for character yeah. development. It, it changes, particularly if it's placed in the hands of someone who was that mercenary that only that only was thinking of gold, that, that elevates them to a heroic platform. It's always, yeah. You can go the other way entirely. Very, very cool. Um, any other thoughts on GM thing before we move on to the player section? Um, I think there's a couple of things, but I, again, I think it, it, right. it probably relates more to more to players. Some games, other more than others, kind of build in a lot of the systems that allow for this character development, and so just being aware of some of the some of the specific. Uh, um, mindset-changing mechanics that are in in game systems, the bonds and flaws for Dungeons and Dragons, or sanity for Call of Cthulhu. Just as you're as you're developing up the game, and particularly if you're trying a new system, keep an eye out for some of these actual mechanics because a lot of game developers actually write these in as yeah. as ways to to allow for good character development, and just making sure that as a storyteller you're aware of um, how to use some of these systems to really to really trigger some of this great developing stuff. That's a very good point. Yeah, definitely, um, especially as the game master, because often the players will probably pick up on this more than the game master at times. About you know because because they're the ones being the use, utilizing them, um, where often the game master might not be directly utilizing them. So I think that's a very good point, um, James. Carl, anything else before we move on to the player section? 
No, I think uh, I think you nailed it. Let's uh, let's talk about those darn right. players. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about those dang players. Uh, yeah. So players, how can we as players? And this is almost even more uh, obscure in a way than GMs, because obviously GMs are thinking about the story, they're thinking about the arcs, they're thinking about the narrative. But as players, to to both make a rewarding experience for yourself. And to kind of give back to the GM and to the party as a whole, I think this is something to kind of not necessarily focus entirely on, but to kind of have some type of idea because it really, really will enrich both your own experience and other people's experience. So starting out, let's talk about how we did with the GMs kind of at character creation, planning ahead. And I just want to bring up one thing that I do often, um, and it's almost like make personality goals. And um, one of the things here is... But I'll often make characters that are sort of extreme in one way or more extreme than I wanted, like my character to be or the kind of power fantasy or the fantasy I have of them. I'll make them more extreme in one direction so that there is room for them to grow. Like I've left myself that uh, space and that leverage that I can, you know, adjust it. And, and the most common thing here is, you know, the kind of like edgelord loner character who <laughs> only looks out for himself. And, you know, if you make a character like that, and it might be a little cliche, but they are fun to do is, you know, give yourself some hooks that maybe you'll start getting involved in it. And even if you are that edgelord, like have the, have the expectation that you will change over the course of the campaign and that you will become more of a team player. You'll open yourself up more. So, that's the kind of thing is the kind of, yeah, the loner that learns the value of teamwork. Um, I also think a really good thing here to do with these kind of quote unquote personality goals is, you know, look at the setting. And again, we always talk about talk to the GM, GM talk to players. That's so important is communication, but set yourself up with kind of some pre preconceived notions or prejudices or, you know, not, not something too horrible, but maybe your character, you know, because of some war that happened 20 years ago has some sort of, maybe not exactly racist, but maybe even a little racist or some type of like, you know, judgments about a certain other a kingdom or race, fantasy race or something, maybe has some type of preconceived notions of how they were brought up or the experiences they had that will then be able to get challenged. So it, it's almost like setting yourself up a little bit for quote unquote success or setting yourself up for having this, uh, you know, space to kind of grow in these ways. Um, there's a bunch of other things here. Um, James, what are you some of the things that you do when you're as a player? As, and a, you can think of as, players? Well, as yeah. a player, and I, and, and, and I don't play all that often. I play, you yeah. know, one game a fortnight. But for for but one of the things I've seen successful players do in terms of setting up a, a really good character change and a, and a strong character arc is to embrace the archetype at the beginning. And, and when you say that, when uh, it then allows for good change. So the edgelord's a great example. If yeah. I'm the loner and I'm the edgelord and I've set it up and so I role play as being that loner and the edgelord, when I then discover the power of friendship and start <laughs> to, you know, and then that, that creates good change because you can see the impact of that. You can see the old archetype of what you used to play, and then you can see how that archetype's been challenged and changed. Um, Han Solo coming to the rescue of yeah. Luke Skywalker on the Death Star, if he wasn't so mercenary at the beginning, then the the, the redemption arc of Han of being a, a good guy at the end wouldn't have had so much impact. Um, when I played Hagen Hearthold, my dwarf, 
Uh, I made it very clear that family and clan was the be all and end all for my character, that I was only in it to protect my family, that the evils ravaging the world, I was only being heroic to, to protect my family so that when I left my family vulnerable and and uh, and weakened in order to go off to fight the big bad had impacted. It was a change in the in the um in in my character, but the only way that people could tell that it was a change in my character is because I'd focused so heavily on what my character was at the beginning. So having a yeah. really good strong character archetype, but being willing to change it, is also is also a really good part in order to demonstrate good character development. Yeah, you definitely have to have that flexibility going in. Um, Carl, any other thoughts here? Well, actually, uh, again, I don't play that much, but I like to, when I'm doing my backstory and it's not necessarily, I would, um, share it completely necessarily with the game master, but I always think about what I want this character to be. So I think a little bit about that arc, their, their growth journey. Um, like for example, in the, the, we had that necessary evil campaign where I played a kind of an eco warrior or eco terrorist type superhero because it's all bad guys right and the whole point of her was to find a way to dampen her beliefs to say there's a bigger issue out there than her single-mindedness but that was in my mind when I created her there was a reason she had this viewpoint and that viewpoint was going to change on purpose given the opportunity right because obviously the game master has to give me that chance to have the dilemmas that allow her to make that choice to to do better um, by her by who she was, um, so I I don't think it's a bad thing to think about, you know, I, and I think you do that, Eric, right? When you make that edge lord character, it's because you assume, or maybe assumes is a strong word, but you think about at some point they're going to be more party focused and they're going yeah. to learn, and you're thinking about that, and probably even the sages, you know, as they move along that journey. And hopefully the game allows that opportunity to to take that journey. But that's something I actually I do. I think about whether I share it overtly or not, but I, I like to think about where I want to be when I grow up with this character um, <laughs> long term. So you make you make it, and I guess at the basis of all of this, Colin, you've just touched on this beautifully. As a player, you have to choose to change, don't you? You can't just cut like yeah. you could just play that goddamn edge lord for you know, years if you really wanted to. It would be but you have to actually actively make that choice to change. For sure. You've got to actually yeah. think about it, look for opportunities to develop and then and then grab it, you know. Um and trust me, it it makes for far more rewarding stories when when people play their characters differently over time, when the character itself emerges, changes and evolves to the situations around you. But it is an active choice. I could have chosen to be a stoic dwarf that only cared about his family and ignored other things, but it's it's the change in the evolution that makes these games fun. Definitely. And that that goes back to what I was saying is that you can make your flaws or your personality traits more extreme than you you thought you would where you want your character to be. So you have that leverage to kind of adjust yourself because like you brought up, Carl, the, the GM might not always give you these opportunities. So there is a way as a player. And I think we're, we're starting to talk about that where you can create them yourselves. Um, but let's twist it around a little bit to h- how do we give the GM a little bit more? And here we talk about backstory hooks and we don't want to talk too much about this because we've talked about this a lot in the backstory section, but here's a very, very good place to kind of give the GM the nudge of, you know, here, here is like, 
here I talk about the big, big regret my character had. Here I talk about this, you know, this person who betrayed me and I want vengeance. Um, lost loves, uh, you know, uh, father figures who abandoned me or were, dis you know, whatever. The, you can give them people, you can give them situations in your backstory, give them those strong hooks um, that will allow them, you know, to then utilize those to challenge your character. Um, also, I really think, again, going back to when I talked about, like, giving yourself preconceived notions based on the setting, um, you know, tying some direct links to the actual narrative, which the GM then can then use to, like, almost manipulate your character. Like, giving the GM, here's some obvious, you know, from your setting, from the narrative, here's some obvious um, uh, kind of hooks that you can use that will, you know, that you can use to control me. Like, here's, I, you know, owe this person money or... I, uh, you know, just even something like I uh, piss off this one official or something. So you can always give themselves ways to kind of mess with your character. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. Um, yeah. And you guys have any thoughts about this or? Uh, well, I, I think that that plays right into what I was saying is the yeah. game master from a background standpoint. If you just say, um, you know, I, I was screwed over by somebody and I hate the world without saying also, well, I'd like to have that opportunity to to meet somebody who changes my mind. That you know, that gives the game master that um, the that gives them the permission, I guess, to quote unquote screw yeah. with you in that way. Um, here's something I want to talk about. I think James, you'll have a bunch of good thoughts on this. Is we talked about before how mechanics are tied in, mm -hmm. and say from the beginning, this is D and D, right? D and D is the best kind of system to use for this. Is you want to do a multi class? You know that you want to do a multi class. You're starting out. Maybe you want to pick up warlock at like level four or something, whatever. <laughs> so uh, obviously discuss with the GM here. But you know this can also be a very good way to, you know, for the GM it, it, you, you, as a player, how 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 would like. Just we'll take it back to the GM side. So I'm sure you've had a lot of people bring this to you um, because you can leverage their journey of, you know, becoming a warlock to challenge them. The warlock itself can challenge them. So how would you as a GM when you're dealing with a player, what are good ways that you would think a player can approach you or work with you? Or what are some ways that you work with players to kind of bring them to? Yeah, well, um, I mean, inbuilt to most role playing games and I'll say most, there is this idea of the mechanics of character development. So you're choosing new powers, you choose new spells, you choose new subclasses, you choose new abilities. Each of those choices are character development. They are. Yeah. And incorporating those things into the narrative and giving some level of storytelling around them is a really good way to, to showcase that characters are changing and characters are developing beyond. Every single time that I get a player come to me and say, I'm thinking about multi-classing for me is a significant change to their initial character concept. And so as a storyteller, I encourage them to think about what is different to your mindset now. If you're a cleric, let's say, and you are devoted to your God, and then at some point you say, you know what, I want to be a fighter. What has changed in your thinking about the religion, thinking about your God? What has changed in your world that now makes you think, you know what, I really need more armor or I really yeah. need to be martially prowess. So I always put it back on my players. And for players, it's this is a great opportunity. Every time that you make a choice, think about, What's different in the character's mindset as to why they've made that choice? And that can be anything from, 
I need new armor, need a new weapon, I need I need a new spell. This is what I'm choosing. Um, but for me, it's it's putting narrative around those decisions. Yeah. Um, in the olden days, in ye old olden days, there used to be a time where, and there was a, it was an optional rule in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons where downtime was required every time that you would level up. So there would be a lot right. of spell research if you needed to do spells. If you wanted to get a new proficiency, you had to train in it for a few weeks. A lot of that's gone now because it, 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 it's deemed to be a little bit too, um, you know, too minor of a detail to go through. But I think in the back of my mind, I still have that thought of, well, if you're going to make a change, then there, there must be some reasoning behind it or there must be some... Um, activities that you must do in order to right. make that happen. Right. So yeah. so driving that home allows for development with the character as well. Um you know and and in some ways the multiclassing is the is the good example but I think there's there's every time you level up it's certain a bit of a thought process certain, about that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, so, this is something I want to talk about so going back from the player's side is when we're talking about planning ahead is is kind of and this is what we've talked about in another video I think I've talked about before is kind of putting the the work in almost and if we bring it back to say uh, to say to Bisbo, right, my Cobalt Artificer, and I've always kind of toyed with he might he might multiclass in Wizard. I, that's always kind of floating out there, but yep. I've I've specifically directed my character to you know in that game like he's had more confidence. He he's he's gone up to places, started researching books, started to look at. There was another character that was a spellcaster. My character was very interested in him and wanted to see their spell books. So I've I've kind of. You know, I've kind of almost plowed the way into it makes sense that he would then multiclass into wizard because I specifically directed my character to kind of have growth in that way. And it, and it was partly emotional because for him, he came from a kind of almost like insecurity and lack of confidence. And part of the journey that he's been on is he's gained a lot more confidence and he's a lot more outspoken. And he's pretty much, you know, bullied his way almost into these places to study and to look at people's things. So it's kind of you want to kind of want to pay that um, you know, pay your way almost into these multi-classing moments or to whatever mechanical moments you're doing. Put in that work and really show the journey. Carl, I think you had a thought. Well, I, I was just going to mention that it's that's the key for any of these big changes. I, I think it'd be nice to weave that into the narrative, even if it's a choice that's... Because uh, uh, I think it's a little... It's, it can be somewhat disruptive if you one day just knife switch it, right? It's good to... Yeah work yeah. together on saying there's a journey and it could be one of those side quests, right? That we talked about. Yeah. There's a journey that I go on that leads me to, um, well, I, I don't think my order is as good as it used to be because I saw something in some adventure that now I do want to multi-class as a fighter and there's a reason for it. And it's not just a discussion. Maybe you can take that kind of, it's a mid story, not a backstory and, build something out for that player. So it's interesting. I don't think I've done much of that. Um, at least, you know, with the players I've had, Eric, you've done, you've done this somewhat, but some of the other players I have, it's sort of when they get an advance and this is Savage Worlds, they sort of say, well, what do I need to do now? So I'll just put a point in something I need now. I don't, I don't think they think of the journey nearly as much as you do, but that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That That's great to have a story. Well, we, I, for that, yeah. Journey, I mean, I think so. in Savage Worlds it's a little weird, but I but I do think about um, uh, Sprig, you know, and how he just because of the nature of the story, he was learning like this new technology. My character was the one that was like acquainted, so he, I learned like new skills specifically to react right, right. with these things, and it was showing me like researching and doing that stuff. So that was a cool way in which it grew along with it. Um, one other thing here too, I want to bring up before we move on to kind of more of the narrative, uh, reacting to narrative, and in the background is is actually 
when you're making your character give some leverage to other party members. And James, you brought this up before, and when we're talking about GMs, you talked about how game systems often provide that, uh, provide things like that to challenge players. And the one that I think about the most, which I love, is Monster Hearts, which is based on the Apocalypse Engine game. And that game does a really good job of challenging, uh, you know, and having your characters grow and change pretty rapidly because those games don't last long. And one of the ways they do that is that you literally go around the table and you give what they're called strings, and these are like emotional strings, and they're basically emotional or uh, like manipulations that people can have over you. Like they have some type of emotional um, weight over you. Like maybe they saw that you did something like bad or something, or they knew some secret about you, or they shared some moment with you. They have this string that they can then leverage. I mean, there's an actual mechanic that they can use that to try to force you to do things. Um, but even with games that don't have that, when you're making, you know, we don't always have to have like, when you're making your character and you might join other with other people or say, oh, we knew each other a little bit, you can still give them, you know, either they knew you for a little bit, they knew you at one point, you know, work with them and they have this knowledge or they know these secrets about you. Or as I said before, if, if you know that they're this dwarf character um, from like a royal family, maybe your character had some bad interactions with dwarven royalty or something. Like you can, you can create these, once you learn about the other players and what they're doing, you can kind of almost write-in leverage that they can utilize over you. And that can also be a really good way to, say, force that loner or force whatever to kind of, you know, shift your character. So th I just think it's it's a little weird, but it is something that's fun to do sometimes is to kind of almost give not just the GM, but other players <laughs> um, some of their well, leverage over you. Yeah, James, what do you think? Well, it's important. I mean, you know, we're not running a one-on-one -on -one game by yeah. and large. There are people that do that. but So it is important to support other players in their journeys as well. You know, if you're playing these games and recognising that <laughs> when a player hits a dilemma, when, they, when they're going through a change moment, Role-playing through that with them is also a really amazing thing. Uh, we, I had a, in, in the game that I was playing, our, our warlock confronted the patron, decided to uh, effectively change patrons in the, middle of a, in the middle of the campaign. And as a group, we role-played that out really beautifully in terms of long discussions with that player about, about where she was coming from, why she changed, uh, why she chose to take on these powers in the first place. And as players looking out for each other, for opportunities to to help development and to provide those links is really, really important because, you know, if you're just thinking about what's my character doing and, and how how is this evolving and changing, it, it, it doesn't quite work. You, you need to incorporate your, your other companions in order to tell, a, yeah. tell that joint story together. And and the other players can be sounding boards too, um, mm, for sure, for, for these ideas or for um, these changes. Uh, you know, obviously they're going to be part of some of these dilemmas and these these choices that are being made. Yeah, and that that's a really good segue into our next section, which is reacting to the narrative. Um, so, what are some ways the campaign has started? You guys have been playing. What are some of the ways that players, you as a player, can kind of get yourself more engaged in this or? You know, like we said before, the GM might not always be challenging you. Um, so, yeah, one of the ways I would always think about it is, you know, in improv, we always talk about yes hand, and that's always yes hand with other players. But you can yes hand with the narrative itself. Um, you know, as the game is going, you're going into an area, you can come up with 
maybe a new flaw or a new connection or some type of history or like we said before a new pre preconceived notion about this this new like country that you're in right maybe you didn't think about that in the beginning but you know there's something stopping you from saying oh actually my character had this history a little bit with this place maybe talk about it with the gm but i think it's a good way to kind of keep that rolling because when we're starting our characters we don't know where the direction of the story is heading you know, and a good story is going to take us to places that we didn't know about. So you, it might be a big part of your backstory can't be utilized anyways because it's not in the story. So kind of, you know, like I said, yes, ending <laughs> the story as it changes is a really good way to, to, to can give those hooks back. Be like, hey, GM, like, oh, you know, I actually have, um, you know, I, I actually know a guy like I was here at one point or maybe, like I said, talk about the GM maybe before, uh, before the session or after the session or something. But I think that's a really good way then to kind of bring it back around and to kind of give you leverage again. So what do you guys think about this as far as players like in your games kind of reacting to the story as it happens? Uh, Carl? Well, I think it just comes down to as a player, um, you just got to lean into everything, right? So it's kind of the yes and. If something's thrown up, you know, do something. Don't, don't, don't be static. Um, kind of jump, just jump in both feet. I, I find... Uh, I don't know if all game masters appreciate it, but I, I kind of appreciate when, you know, you set out something and the players go, I'm going to engage with it. I'm going to make those decisions. I'm going to just lean into this, even if it's something completely dumb, right? Uh, you know, these are, these are characters, right? It's not real life. So you can make a dumb choice that makes your character grow and different, like the, the coward guy. In, in this game, right? The smart choice probably would have been to back off, but it's a game. And so he's like, no, I'm going to draw my sword and I'm going to grow in that way. Just lean into the story that the game master presents to you and, and those decisions. Yeah, James, uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more and probably can't add much more to that. But, I mean, ultimately, the, the entire role-playing experience is about responding to dilemmas. And so being very clear about where your character is coming from and, and understand some of the reasoning as to why you would react in a certain way and then and then leaning in hard, you know, the yes and and, 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 and just becoming part of that story. Recognising a pivot point or a, or a crossroad when you see it and then making a very distinct decision to make it to to yeah. to take a path above the other and be really clear about saying that you know like there's um uh, nothing better than clearer clearer communication at this point i i discard the i throw down oh a, a great example um uh, jared played in our fey wild game betraying the armed forces that he had been a soldier with all his life and he takes off his uniform and and buries the insignia in the ground and and makes a very very obvious and overt, uh, almost um, announcement to the rest of the group that I'm no longer this soldier anymore. I've cast my 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 uh, background aside and I'm now walking with you guys into the into the um, into the horizon. Is a is a you know really signposting the changes is a really good thing. Well, okay, yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, but I do want to bring it just back around real quickly. So but what do you guys think about if a player did come to you and you guys took him in a new direction? They were like, hey, I actually, could I have like history with a place here? Because that's also kind of what I'm talking about is is the player creating new history or new hooks with a place that they didn't know they were going to. So do you ever have players bring that to you, James? Have you ever had players bring uh, that to you or you talk about okay, it? Occasionally. I'd probably yeah. like it more. Um, I, had a, I had a player that... Um, was playing quite an old wizard um, and a fantastic character, really, really good. Like, you know, he's playing an 80-year-old wizard and 
he would always, no matter which situation that I'd give them in terms of a group, he would always say, did I ever tell you about the time when? <laughs> and he'd just link it straight to whatever. Yeah. You know, well, last time I was in this town, this this tavern looked entirely different. And you just give them leeway to do it. I mean, why not? It just makes it makes it fun as long as they're not changing the plot of your story. But, yeah. but absolutely, yeah. yeah. I lean right into that stuff. That's always good fun. Yeah, Carl, would that be fun to you? I mean, if a player came to you and was like, hey, I... I think I might have a connection here with my character no, here I'm, before. I'm, I'm or, all for it yeah. because okay. part of that coming up with the connection, again, this is not backstory, it's mid-story that yeah. gives you more to play with, right? So it's like, oh, hey, you know, I, I I just came to this area. You know, it would seem like my character would have visited this at some point in the past. Well, yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> and when they did, <laughs> you know, I – Things this might have happened, happened and, and now, yeah. you know, so I, I think it's it's brilliant. You do have to be careful. I, James, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, you got to be careful. Sometimes as a player, getting back to the player side, you've got to realize that there's stuff going behind the scenes. So you, coming and saying, hey, this area was, you know, I, I've been to this area and I know the guy who runs it and the king and the king loved me and I saved his daughter. So therefore he owes me <laughs> yeah, a favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it, as a player, it, yeah. You got to be careful. You know, you got to recognize that it's more the little things, the little nuggets that give, that yeah, give little flavor, nuggets. you know. Or some type of tenuous. So I think we're saying here is that GMs be open to this and flexible and players also be open to this and don't be afraid to bring this up at the GM. And another good example of this, James, is in back to Bisbo is when we were going to a city that I wasn't sure we'd ever get to, and just I had written a very small part that I had gone through there. Then me and you talked about it. it was like, oh hey, my character had been this, you know, this inn. He he went to this tavern. Yeah. He knew people there, and we like that was something we created, you know, near the end of the campaign, and then it had some real impact in there and where my character changed. So that was pretty much what we're talking about here. Um, some of the other things here too, I think I think we're running a little bit of time short, but um, you know, going back to those mechanical decisions based on narrative, this is this is. Well, before we were mainly talking about the beginning, this is kind of talking, yeah, in-game, um, you know, choosing features based on the changes that are happening to your characters. This can be a really fun thing to do. Um, uh, how, how much time are we in? Okay, we're still a little bit okay. So I guess we'll just we'll just speed through this. Um, and then finally, making connections to the GMPCs. Here, here's uh, NPCs. Here's a really big one where, um, just like we were talking about before, is, is you can either, you know, say, hey, I might, did I... Maybe I knew this guy, or I was actually in this town. Did I know this guy? So, do you guys have any more thoughts here about reacting to the narrative before we move on to the very, very final thing? No, I think we hit that one pretty okay. good. Yep. And then the final thing is just interacting with other party members. I think we did talk about this a little bit before, James. You brought this up, and that was really a, a really good point that you made. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just to touch on this one last time. Um, uh, other things you can do to almost not about your own character journey, but other character journey. Of course, you guys talk about buying into their stuff, but you can also, you know, if you know these other characters think a certain way or um, don't like a certain thing or whatever, you, your own character, if, if it fits, the, if it fits your character, you can kind of almost not force it upon them, but kind of present them with it. Like, you know, get your character into a situation that that kind of challenges them. And then, you, then there's, then there's this really interesting interaction that comes with that. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to, you as a player, kind of challenge the other players uh, based on what you know. Um, Carl, do you ever, well, you ever I, see well, this I happen think in that's games? A good, or? It's a good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, the it's a role-playing game, right? So it's the interaction between yeah. the players that make everything interesting. 
And if the players aren't challenging each other during these decisions to make a decision to to grow, uh, I know in a lot of the games, it seems like uh, you and another player, that you're always picking characters that seem to be at odds, but that interaction drives the the growth you know you give a little they give a little and and suddenly they've changed their perception or they've they're you know now they're in lockstep and they're moving forward so i think that's an absolute important part because it is a social role-playing experience and the role-playing is what helps drive the decision making i guess or or those how you're going to react to dilemma right because it's it's never it's never a um you know, it's it's never it's always kind of a democracy a little bit about what's going to happen. So everybody has a say. Mm. Very much, and and the storyteller and dungeon master is but one voice. You know, the bulk of character interaction and journey happens with the the discussion and the interaction between the players. That's where you see most of this stuff. I find in the yeah. you know in in my experience. Um, the last the last game I played, I adopted one of the characters as my <laughs> adoptive son. Wow, okay. <laughs> you know, because his that's family all died, and, and I thought I can't have another orphan, so <laughs> no I'm just going to adopt him. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's a really good point. And some of the other things, just to wrap it up, um, you know, sometimes having your character go against their nature just to assist another party member, like you know, have your character kind of swallow their pride or, or just kind of, you know, have their thoughts themselves when to, to help that other player on their journey. And that in turn will then challenge your character. So some of the times is kind of suppressing your character in certain ways or the, your character's thoughts or judgments or, you know, normal feelings about certain things to then, you know, go along on the journey with another player. That can also reward you. And then finally, my last th- thing here was just occasionally make your character very vulnerable with some of the other player characters. You know, create moments of vulnerability for your character that will then give those other characters either insight or leverage over you in some way. Maybe they won't take it, maybe they won't, or, you know, it could be good or bad, but really, really, really making yourself, your characters vulnerable, like emotionally, Um, you know, whether that's like opening up, usually that's probably what it is, or, you know, um, uh, just just spurting out something about what they're going through or something about their past. Um, But that can be a really good way to kind of challenge your own character and other characters so i think finally just to wrap it up do you guys have any other thoughts about how you yourself will help other characters or interacting with other player characters james what about you any other final thoughts here i I guess it's more of a summary you know it's kind of be be clear about your character at the beginning and, and make sure that people understand what your character is Look for and exploit pivot points in the storyline or in relationships or in your own sub theme so that you can um, so that you can signpost and change and then be a little bit clear in terms of when you when you're creating that character about what that journey might look like for you. What is it that you want to look like at the end of this? How is it that you want to be different? to when you first started. And, and as a storyteller, if you can be walking, if you can be looking out for those journeys, it just creates great opportunities for, for character development. Carl, any final thoughts? I think that summarized it actually fantastically. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so I think, so I think that's uh, I think that was a great uh, conversation. And, and, you know, again, I took, I took away some things like I always do in these conversations. So um same sounds good so thanks everyone for tuning in i hope you got something out of it remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com to learn about our other projects uh, contact us and support us that would be great 
Uh, please email GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com if you have questions, need some advice, or you'd love Eric to adjudicate a difference of opinion <laughs> in your uh, in your players. Uh, we're also on Twitter at, at MasteringTheRPG. Um, if you like the show, please help us with positive reviews, uh, following, subscribing, whatever your podcaster of choice, how it handles that. And once again, this is Carl with my co-hosts Eric and James. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye, guys. Hey.